triple Z. 92.3 FM. The following program is in English. Thank you. To life. You're tuned in to L'Chaim, to life, with your host, Morris Klein, who just happens to be my baby brother. Shalom Aleichem, welcome back to L'Chaim, to life, Jewish life and more. Ah, the choleric COVID has got us well and truly in lockdown again in Melbourne and elsewhere. Here's how you can beat the lockdown blues. Join on to Chai Flicks. Supporting Jewish and Israeli culture and learning, HiFlix is a streaming platform dedicated solely to Jewish and Israeli movies, TV series, documentaries, short films, theatre and all varieties of entertainment media. In Australia and New Zealand, HiFlix is presented by the Jewish International Film Festival, JIF. Beloved by the Australian Jewish community, as we know, JIF is one of the largest and most successful Jewish film festivals globally, presenting the best of the Jewish-themed and Israeli films and series in its annual festival. JIF will bring its decades-long expertise in programming to the HiFlix platform. It's all at www.highflix.com and www.gif.com. Forget not the GIF 2021 is happening again from the 20th of October to the 24th of November. We will have the classics Eddie Tamir on soon to bring us up to speed on all the great new GIF movies, series, documentaries and more. Right, our program theme today is anti-Semitism with Murray's guest, Senator Sarah Henderson, and my guest, Senator David Van, back with us again. And as always, Effie Yacobi will be taking us to another spectacular part of Israel. You're tuned into L'Chaim, to life, Jewish life and more, connecting our community here on 92.3 FM, 3 triple Z. Gainish Tavak, don't go away. We'll now move to Senator's statements and I call Senator Van. Thank you, Madam Deputy President. I rise to make the statement to condemn the utterly odious statements made last week by Mr Julian Burnside. We compared the treatment of Palestinians to the German treatment of Jews during the Second World War. This vile attempt to equate the people of Israel to modern history's most disgusting acts is atrocious. I would suggest to Mr Burnside that he stops using the Holocaust whenever he has criticism of Israel or their policies, especially as, by his own admission, he's yet to even visit Israel and experience and look at and learn about the situation on the ground. His lack of understanding on this issue is clear and unfathomable that he would still make these comments. I want to make my position known to this chamber and to the uh, people of Australia that anti-Semitism has no place in Australia. And I'll do everything in my power to ensure it is stamped out. As I've said many times in this chamber, Australia has no place for racism, and anti-Semitism is just another form of racism. Thank you, Madam Deputy Chair. Uh, thank you, Senator Van. Joining us again on L'Chaim to Life is Senator David Van. Senator Van, welcome back to L'Chaim. Thanks so much, Morris. Great to be back with you. Senator, the last time you were with us on L'Chaim, mid-June, we spoke about the ABC's hostile anti-Israel bias, which in my opinion borders on the new anti-Semitism. Senator Van, in your August 4th Senator's statement to the Senate, a clip of which we heard in the introduction, you focused on the Julian Burnside Nazi Israel tweet and concluded by stating that anti-Semitism has no place in Australia. Do you have any views on why anti-Semitism has become so openly practised both globally and locally? Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting question, Morris. I, you know, I, I think it's been seen as okay again for some reason. You know, and I, I've spoken out about anti-Semitism in the chamber previously, and, and I speak out about anti-racism. And I think we're seeing somewhat of a rise of the two, and the two coincide. You know, I certainly think the the British Labor Party had a large part to play in a lot of this. Jeremy Corbyn, the, the previous leader's hostile views. So I, you know, I think 
once you know you hear a leader like that starting to talk about it, you know, I think you really start to then people think it's okay to talk about. So you know, there's some very troubling things that we're hearing, and the number of incidents troubles me greatly. Yeah, definitely. Senator Van, many in the Jewish community see neo-Nazism as the main anti-Semitic threat here in Australia and globally. 60 Minutes and The Age have run feature stories this week on the local neo-Nazi nutters. And yes, they are always a serious source of anti-Semitism and concern. However, I disagree with the view that neo-Nazism is the main anti-Semitic threat. I'm more concerned with the intersectionality of the hardcore left, the not-so-hard left, and Islam. Am I wrong in this view? Mm, It's an interesting one. I've never heard it uh, put like that before. I think there's something to what you're saying. I mean, as we've seen, particularly the hard left and their support of some of the behaviour in the Middle East, I'd like to think about it more. But, yeah, I think there's actually something to be said about that. You know, neo-Nazism is is troubling in and of itself. But, uh, you know, I think... You know, it's very clear that this behaviour is going on well beyond those small fringe groups that uh, that are practising that behaviour. It has gone more mainstream, and we certainly are seeing it from the left. And Australian Labor Party hasn't covered itself in glory over the years on this topic. So they deserve to uh, have a good hard look at themselves and, and try and work on some of their behaviour on this as well. But I, I think it's the harder letter that's primarily the problem, like you said. Intersectionality, the new woke word there, it's, it's sort of uh, akin to <laughs> the enemy of my enemies, my friend. Um, it, it's got a bit of that about it, yes. Anti-Semitism has seeped into our university movements, climate, BLM, entertainment figures and politics. This trend is accelerating in large part driven as a political debate focused on the restructuring of our global economic systems. Senator Van, in the same statement to the Senate, you continued by saying that you will do everything in your power to ensure that anti-Semitism and anti-racism in Australia, the oldest hatred, is stamped out. Could you elaborate on how you um, plan to succeed in achieving that? Yeah, well, obviously it's not something I can do just on my own, but you know, I will call out this behaviour. I'm not afraid to call it out. And you know, since I was so honoured by the Victorian people to be elected to the Senate, I have that uh, platform to be able to call out this behaviour. Last year, when people were attacking Chinese people, Chinese-looking people about the COVID virus, you know, I had letters published in many Asian publications saying that this is not who Australians are. And, and for the, the very good reason, Australians are not racist, you know. So when this behaviour keeps creeping in, and we do just see it at the fringes, and it's awfully troubling and awfully distressing when we do, you know, it's got to be called out. You know, as they say, sunlight is, a, is the best disinfectant. And, you know, I think we've seen the effects of, of that on some of the people you were talking about before and, you know, their change of plans over the next year. Definitely. I think you could wear it as a badge of honour. And you do call it out. Your uh, statement regarding Mr Burnside was very, very much on point. Uh, I thought it was terrific. On another topic, last week you were quoted in the newspapers saying that uh, an mRNA vaccine making hub would simply make no sense if such a facility is not located in Victoria. Were you saying this because you were a Victoria senator? Would you like to elaborate on that statement? I'd love to. mRNA, no one had heard of it before COVID came along, and now we talk at Pfizer versus AstraZeneca now. Um, I think they're both very good uh, vaccines, and and I encourage uh, all your listeners to go out and and get vaccinated with either of them, whichever one they can get uh, or whichever one the doctor recommends. The great thing about the AstraZeneca vaccine is we're manufacturing it onshore, and it was a shame that uh, Atagi changed their advice on it as strictly as they did. And I'm not questioning their, their medical advice. We should also always follow the medical advice. But we have the sovereign capability here in, in Victoria, well, where you are in Victoria, I'm stuck in Canberra, to manufacture AstraZeneca. mRNA is such new technology that we don't yet have the capability to manufacture it in Australia. So at the moment, the government has a, what we call an approach to market, asking are there bodies out there, companies, universities, et cetera, that, that can bring this capability to Australia? We should have an answer on that coming out in the next week or two as to what you know, the government may invest in. But you know, I've been also talking about this as a, as a longer-term thing, that we, because we had such you know, um, the, the best biomedical research in, in Australia resides in Victoria. 
the best universities. Uh, I was just talking to one of the VCs, uh, vice chancellors of one of the major universities about this. You know, we have 70% of probably what we need to get this capability already exists in Victoria. So that's why I'm saying it, it doesn't make any sense. You know, something that your listeners might not know, a, a, a Victorian professor has come up with a, a candidate for an mRNA COVID vaccine. So, you know, that will hopefully go to phase one trials this year. And if proven and if we could manufacture it, we would have the uh, IP, the technology here. But mRNA is not just good for vaccinating against COVID. It's going to be a life-changing vaccine against the flu that we normally get. They're talking about it has potential to be a vaccine uh, against cancer. And, you know, while not everything it produces might not be a vaccine, there are some therapeutics that could come out of it. So that help with things like Epstein-Barr virus or Zika virus that can be antivirals. So it's not just a vaccine technology. It's what I'd call or what I said in the Senate. It's an enable platform. So it's a new technology. If you want to think about what I mean, just think about well, the internet was an enabler technology. Silicon chips were an enabler technology. And then these other industries and technologies built on top of them and you had many other products came about because of these one baseline enabler platforms. We have the capability, we have the need for it, and it's something that I truly hope we get to see built in Victoria. Definitely. What sort of time frame do you think we're looking at? Well, I think we're looking at a number of phases to this project. There is no quick way to do this. So we may see some way that we can get some vaccines done quickly you know, over the next 6, 12, 18 months. But a full-blown facility, research institute, all these things I think are going to take a, a little bit of time. Hard to put a, a hard deadline on them. But whatever it takes, mRNA technology is very much a sovereign capability that Australia needs. And I think Victoria is the right home for it. Definitely, and it sounds like it would be money well spent. Senator Van, uh, once again, I want to thank you for your great work and support to the Jewish community and uh, for uh, down here in Melbourne um, securing a new licence for JR 88FM. They've been off air for about six months with relocating studios. They're back on air soon, but um, you played a major role in that uh, terrific work there. And I uh, sincerely want to thank you for joining us again on Le Chame to life and we'll have you back soon. I, I, I can't wait and I can't wait to have Jay uh, back on, on, on air. And so thank you for, uh, for recognising the, the work that got done there. But it, was, it wasn't just me. Um, there was the, the crew there were, were uh, amazing in work, the work they did. I was just happy to help out. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, especially, uh, especially the number one crew, uh, George Banky. <laughs> Indeed. You, you, I, I, I should have mentioned him by name. It, uh, he and I worked together on that project, uh, sure. you know, um, hand in hand, and, and we're very pleased to get the right result. So um, a, a big round of applause to, to, to George. And, Morris, thank you for having me on again. It's always a pleasure. Terrific. And I note that you're in, you're in uh, Canberra. You're in lockdown like the rest of the rest of the uh, or almost the rest of the country. I hope it's not too constricting. Stay well. Uh, I'm, I'm here at Parliament House doing work. We're allowed to do that and then I go straight home to my apartment. Uh, but uh, I, I do miss my wife and uh, wish I hope I can get back home sometime soon. Terrific. Stay well. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thanks, Senator. I'm Ernie Singer and this is your daily newscast from Israel News Talk Radio. The Jerusalem Post reports an Eastern Jerusalem resident armed with a knife was detained for questioning on Tuesday after she aroused the suspicion of police officers in the Old City. Prime Minister Naftali Bennett said Tuesday afternoon during a visit to troops in the Gaza area that Israel will operate against Gaza terrorists at a time, place and conditions that suit us and not anyone else. The government was criticized by Gaza area localities after reports that Bennett and Defense Minister Benny Gantz ordered the Israel Defense Forces to refrain from an immediate response to Monday's rocket attack on the Gaza periphery town of Sderot. Two rockets were intercepted by the Iron Dome missile defense. The order stood in contrast to the prevailing practice in recent years when the IDF responded to every single attack by Gaza terrorists, including the launching of arson or bomb balloons. Lebanese newspaper Al-Akbar reports that Gaza terror organizations are planning a series of actions this week aimed at putting pressure on Israel to comply with their demands regarding reconstruction of the Hamas-ruled area following May's fighting. 
An announcement is expected following a Monday meeting by the groups about rage processions at the border over the weekend, cuts in the security fence, the launch of incendiary balloons, the burning of tires, and the activation of the night harassment units that set off explosions near the fence. Hamas and Islamic Jihad congratulated the Taliban on Monday for their takeover of Afghanistan, saying their defeat of Western allies provides hope for their armed struggle against Israel. Defense Minister Gantz called on the PA and the international community on Monday to condemn the use of Nazi symbols by PA protesters. He was responding to Saturday night's burning of a Star of David with a swastika in the middle during a demonstration near the Sumerian Jewish community of Evyatar and similar incidents in the past. The Jewish Telegraphic Agency reports the Daily Beast is developing an editorial standard for future use of the word genocidal after the website's entertainment reporter used it to describe the IDF in criticizing the choice of American Jewish actress, author, and scientist Mayim Bialik as a host of the TV game show Jeopardy. While the word was removed, it was replaced by a note about human rights watches calling Israel's actions beyond the 1949 armistice lines crimes against humanity, and the reporter's inflammatory tweets about Zionism and Zionists had not been taken down. Britain's Jewish News reported on Monday that Manchester University's Whitworth Art Gallery has removed a controversial statement about Israel from one of its exhibits and initiated a policy review after intervention from Jewish groups. The statement preceded its Cloud Studies exhibition, which purports to show the environmental impact of Israel's actions in Gaza, Judea, and Samaria. Groups have told gallery and university representatives that the statement was a factually incorrect and dangerously one-sided account on an extremely complex foreign policy issue. The Tatspeet News Agency reports Israel has called for international action following an International Atomic Energy Agency report that Iran is producing uranium metal, which can be used in atomic bombs. The Islamic Republic promised not to produce the metal as part of its 2015 deal with the international community, but said this year that it was researching the substance to provide advanced fuel for a research reactor. The State Department said the U.S. believed that Iran has no credible need to produce uranium metal. Foreign Minister Yair Lapid thanked Secretary of State Antony Blinken on Tuesday morning for standing shoulder-to-shoulder with Israel against the new Polish law to restrict compensation for property wrongfully confiscated during the communism era and, by extension, the Nazi occupation during World War II. Warsaw responded in kind on Monday after Jerusalem recalled its ambassador to Poland over the weekend and said it was examining the option of suspending annual Israeli youth trips to Holocaust memorial sites in the country. Deputy Polish Foreign Minister Paweł Jablonski claimed in a radio interview that the trips sometimes instill hatred for Poland in the heads of young Israelis. Health ministry figures Tuesday morning showed 8,646 new COVID-19 cases on Monday, 6.2% of those tested, a new record in the current outbreak of the Delta variant. With the Post reporting 49 red localities having a high infection rate, the government decided on Monday night that students in grades 8 to 12 who live in red cities where at least 70% of other students in their class are not vaccinated will have to learn online and not in schools. Younger grades will see unvaccinated students tested every week in red and orange localities to help detect infection early based on Wednesday designation of localities by the health ministry. This has been Ernie Singer at Israel News Talk Radio. The news from Israel is courtesy of INTR, Israel News Talk Radio. Listen online to more straight talk from Israel at israelnewstalkradio.com. Thank you very much, Acting Deputy President. I rise to condemn in the strongest possible terms the decision of the WA Bar Association to defend the right of Victorian barrister and former Greens candidate Julian Burnside to make anti-Semitic comments on the grounds of free speech. Anti-Semitism is racist hate speech at its very worst. It comes in many guises, from calling for Jews to be killed through to comparing contemporary Israeli policy to the horrific enslavement and genocide committed by the Nazis. I'm pleased Mr Burnside has deleted his tweet and apologised, but in raising my concerns, in lodging my complaint, in speaking out against any form of anti-Semitism, I was and continue to exercise my free speech. And I will not be intimidated. I will continue to stand up every single day for what is right and just and call out anti-Semitism for the ugliness that it is. Thank you. Senator the Honourable Sarah Henderson is a Liberal senator who has represented Victoria since 2019. From 2013 until then, she had been in the House of Representatives. Before entering Parliament, Senator Henderson worked in the media and was the winner of the prestigious Walkley and Golden Quill Awards. Her media work was followed by a career in the law. Senator Henderson, welcome to Lachayim. Oh, Murray, it's absolutely wonderful to join you. 
Thank you. Good to speak to you too. Two weeks ago, you made a statement to the Parliament concerning a letter sent to you from the President of the Western Australian Bar Association, Mark Kewardin SC. Kewardin was responding to your call for the Victorian Bar Association to consider whether a tweet from Julian Burnside QC may have contravened conduct rules that govern barristers. The tweet equated Israel's treatment of Palestinians to Nazi Germany's treatment of the Jews during the Holocaust. Have you had any response from the Victorian Bar Association to your call? And have you received support from the legal fraternity and community in general for your stance, firstly on the Burnside tweet, and secondly on your opinion that Kewardin's position was untenable? Well, Molly, it's an absolute pleasure to speak to you about this very important issue. And as we know, Julian in Burnside, a former Greens candidate and a QC in Victoria, made anti-Semitic comment on Twitter. And I am pleased, Morrow, that he has now withdrawn that comment and he has apologised. But when I raise my serious concerns about his conduct with the Victorian Bar Council, including uh, whether he has diminished public confidence in the legal profession or perhaps brought the legal profession into disrepute, And that is one of the rules of barristers, if you like, under the law and enforceable under the law. I raise that serious concern with the Bar Council, and that's now been referred to the Legal Services Commissioner. But in doing so, I received the most extraordinary letter from the West Australian Bar Association, which objected to me raising these concerns and which defended Julian Burnside's right to free speech. Effectively, Morrie, The president of the WA Bar was defending Julian Burnside's right to make anti-Semitic comments, and that's really what accelerated this issue. And as a result of its appalling stance, there were many members of the legal profession that contacted me and congratulated me on my stance. And, of course, the wonderful Mark Liebler intervened and wrote to Mr Kewardin and said that he was absolutely astonished about the WA Bar Association's uh, position. He said it was untenable. It should apologise to me. And we now know, of course, that the Bar has effectively apologised, saying it did not realise that Mr Burnside's tweet was anti-Semitic. So uh, it has been a real insight into the ongoing concerns that I have and and many of my colleagues have in Parliament about many incidents of underlying anti-Semitism and the importance of calling this out at every opportunity. Did you view this uh, apparently sudden so-called better understanding of how such language would be offensive to the community change your view on Kewardin's presidency? Well, look, ultimately that is a matter for fellow barristers in WA, but I certainly did not think that his position was tenable. He showed really poor judgment And he also showed an intemperance in relation to this issue. He thought it was more important to defend free speech than to call out anti-Semitism. And in fact, as uh, Mark Liebler pointed out in his correspondence to the WA Bar, I mean, Australians are free to say what they like, more or less, but they will also, you know, suffer the consequences. And as a consequence of Mr Burnside's conduct and his comments I said, look, I don't think he's the sort of person that should continue necessarily to be a QC. I think perhaps his Order of Australia should be questioned. But I certainly, in relation to the barrister's rules, which are the rules of conduct of barristers, I did raise that particular issue, which is now before the Legal Services Commissioner. Yes. Well, thank you for that that answer. Two days ago, The Age featured an in-depth investigation of Australia's largest white supremacist group, the neo-Nazi National Socialist Network. This group, with links to international terror organisations, instructs its members to focus their anger on Jews, liberal multicultural democracy, black people, migrants and Muslims. The network offers the promise of a coming race war to restore the lost status and superiority of a racially pure white society in Australia. Do you believe that the resources provided to the appropriate agencies in Australia are sufficient to adequately deal with such threats to our way of life? Well, Maureen, can I answer it this way? Can I say that whether these attacks 
on Jewish people are coming from the right, the extreme right, or from the left. And we have seen on the left of politics, whether it's Greens or Labor, some really disturbing anti-Semitic undertones, whether it be from Julian Burnside, whether it be from the Queensland Labor Conference, which passed a resolution which effectively condemned Jewish people, or whether it be the the horrific incidents that we have seen from the extreme right, the attacks uh, against Jewish people uh, in in the dark of the night. No matter what side of politics this is coming from, this is abhorrent. It must be called out at every opportunity. And as a member of the Australian Parliament and as a Victorian Senator, as I see it, my responsibility to make sure that no one is resourced in any way to conduct these sorts of activities. It's incredibly concerning. And my even yesterday, after the issue with the, the unlawful gathering of a, a number of Jewish people at the uh, engagement party, and, you know, that, that group of people was rightly called to account and, and questioned for their behaviour. There was a frontline health worker at Royal Melbourne Hospital mm-hmm. who made the most disgusting, revolting, vile comment about that group of Jewish people from North Caulfield where the gathering occurred. And I'm very pleased that she was instantly terminated by the hospital. So... You know, if someone does the wrong thing, as uh, you know, for any Australian citizen, of course, we will have to call it out. But uh, the anti-Semitism that we are seeing on the far left, on the extreme Greens Labor left and on the far right is very concerning. And uh, I'm on an absolute mission, as are some of my colleagues, of course, led by the wonderful Josh Frydenberg, who is uh, Jewish, of course, and is our treasurer our Deputy Leader of the Liberal Party, a magnificent Victorian. Alan Tudge, the Minister for Education, has done some excellent work on this. He wrote a wonderful column on the 5th of August in The Australian talking about uh, some of these issues and particularly from the Greens left, the underbellies of anti-Semitism that we are seeing. So uh, it is our responsibility collectively to call this out, to shut it down and to hold those to account who engage in anti-Semitic conduct hold them to account for their uh, for their behaviour. Now, do you feel that agencies like ASIO, for example, uh, in the broader sense of uh, the uh, racism that uh, seems to be raising its head, are adequately resourced to handle this, what, what to me appears to be a growing problem in society? Well, Murray, I've heard from ASIO. I am the chair of the Legal and Constitutional Affairs Legislation Senate Committee, So in the last round of estimates, uh, we took evidence from ASIO and certainly there has been a a growing increase in in very um, threatening and and concerning behaviour from the far right. There is no doubt about that. ASIO has had a massive boost in its resources and in its funding and so that has been very important because ASIO does obviously very important work right across the board. So under the Morrison government, ASIO is very well funded and very well resourced, but it, like um, many others, has recognised the growing threat of the far right in terms of this sort of conduct, and I'm very pleased that ASIO has this sort of conduct in its sights. Well, that's reassuring. In a way, your answer to my previous question preempted something I was going to talk about later, but it's in relation to how many people receive their news and opinions through the major social networking platforms. And um, the nature of the comment seems uncontrollable from the platform's perspective anyway. How effective do you believe any government can be in controlling the flood of virulent racist content on these platforms? Well, we've taken some very strong action in relation to online safety generally, and we now have the the eSafety Commissioner with greater powers to stamp out and to shut down any sort of threatening or bullying behaviour. Now, of course, that doesn't include all behaviour online, including some racist behaviour. Social media is presenting a very significant challenge, and I think that's why when people go to social media, they really need to go to channels of information that they can rely upon because there's a lot of toxicity on social media, Murray. There's no doubt about it. Mm. I know for myself, I mean, apart from the reputable news organisations, reputable people who I know on social media, uh, on Twitter, people with blue ticks who you know are the, the real deal, I just ignore so much of what is on social media because so much of it is just vile and, and toxic. And that's why, you know, we took the action that we did with Facebook and, and also with Google where we said it's just not good enough that you can republish 
the material of reputable news organisations in Australia and not pay for it. So led by Josh Frydenberg, we've now implemented some world-leading reforms in relation to the republication of Australian news sites because we want to make sure that Australians are accessing the very best of information from the very best and most credible of sources. Yeah, hear, hear to all of that. Senator, you spent more than a decade in the media, including time at the ABC. A recent Q&A program featured a segment focusing on the Israel-Hamas conflict, with not one panel member representing the Israeli side of the discussion. The ABC's process of dealing with complaints also left a lot to be desired. Do you feel that the ABC has become more political in its public affairs coverage since your time there? I'm aware of the concerns with that program and there is no doubt that the ABC presented a skewed and one-sided perspective of the situation in in Israel and the conflict between Israel and, and the Palestinians. And I say to the ABC, that is not good enough. I do believe there has been a decline in standards since I worked at the ABC. I have been actually rallying against the ABC for some of the conduct of its journalists on social media, yes. where... Some journalists and some presenters think that they can say anything they like on social media, on their private social media accounts. And the ABC has taken the extraordinary decision whereby it considers that it has no legal or editorial responsibility for the conduct of its presenters and journalists on social media. Now, I know that when I worked for the ABC in the mid-90s, if I had done the equivalent of making a public statement, say if I had issued a media release, you know, just on my own letterhead under my own name, when I was the presenter of the 730 report in Victoria, uh, I would have been in serious trouble uh, because I was simply not authorised by the ABC to issue public statements in my own name because I was a high-profile presenter with the ABC. But unfortunately, the ABC has taken this cowboy-like approach to the management of its journalists and presenters And I really feel sorry for some younger journalists, some of the journalists in regional Victoria, where they're they're not being properly supported by the ABC. And we now have a situation where the ABC has paid for the private legal costs of one of its Four Corners reporters who issued a, a, made a defamatory tweet. And the ABC stepped in and paid almost $200,000 for the benefit of this reporter, even though she had done the wrong thing. So I think the ABC is at a real crossroads in the way that it's managing these issues. And I certainly know that the ABC has got to do a much better job at ensuring that it sticks by its statutory obligations, Maury, because under Section 8 of the ABC Act, the ABC board is required to ensure that all information is gathered and disseminated in a manner that is both accurate and impartial. And on that test, the ABC is consistently failing. Yeah, it's very sad, very sad indeed. Liberal Senator representing Victoria, the Honourable Sarah Henderson, thank you so much for joining us on Lachaim and for your strong stance against anti-Semitism and racism in general. Very much appreciated and thank you again. Murray, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to speak about such an important issue. I would like everyone to have a listen to Gabriel Groisman, the Mayor of Bell Harbour, Miami. And please, we as individuals and as a community need to heed his words. Anti-Semitism. You know, as a young Jewish boy growing up in this community, we learned a lot about anti-Semitism. It's part of our Jewish education. We learn Torah, we learn traditions, we learn about the state of Israel, the land of Israel, and we learn about anti-Semitism. My whole life I've tried to wonder and figure out why. Why we learned about the Babylonians that expelled the Jews from Judea, from Israel, after the destruction of the first temple, or the Romans after the destruction of the second temple, or why we learn about the Spanish Inquisition of 1492, or the pogroms in Russia and Ukraine in the late 1800s that drove Jews again all over the world, even to Argentina, where my family went. We learned about the 850,000 Jews driven out of Arab lands in the 1940s. Of course, we learn about the Holocaust, And not just a systematic extermination of six million of our own people, but also how quickly we went from the upper echelons of European society to the gas chambers. So the question I always had as a boy is why do we have to learn about anti-Semitism? Why do we have to learn about these horrors? Those days are over. Or so I thought. 
For the past several decades, the Jewish community in America and for the large part around the world have been on a honeymoon. Over the past 72 years, we've watched the state of Israel flourish. We've strengthened our, bond, our bonds with this amazing and welcoming democracy, the United States of America. But unfortunately, we've allowed this honeymoon period to weaken us and to soften us as a people. Within this comfort, we've again spent, losing, we've spent our time losing our connection to our roots, to our history, to our traditions, to our peoplehood, and to our land. And today, with the internet, with the cell phones in each and every one of your pockets, we see, hear, and feel the extent of the anti-Semitism, not just here, but all over the world. It's coming from all directions. Ladies and gentlemen, the honeymoon is over. We have passed the tipping point. Something must change. Now, I want to say that from the bottom of my heart, I'm very grateful for those who stand by our side from other communities. But many have heard me say before, first, we have to look within our own community. And there must be a significant paradigm shift in our community. This wave of anti-Semitism didn't start this week. It's been happening for years, but it's getting worse and worse, every, year after year and day after day. So what are we going to do about it? First, we must recognize that we're no longer in a period of comfort or complacency. We're in a time where we as a community cannot afford a divide, any divide. We must unite, not just in word, but in deed. Political differences must fall by the wayside. We are one community. We must unite against our enemies. We have no other choice. We must fight, fight for the truth. We must not allow our enemies to divide, divide or define us. We must fight for our place in this amazing country, the United States of America. But we must always also remember to fight for our Jewish homeland, the state of Israel, and her place in the world. But we also must fight to educate ourselves and our children. That's something that we've lost over the last several decades. We must reconnect to our roots. We must walk proud and unafraid unafraid of showing who we are and being who we are as Jews. To paraphrase Menachem Begin, we are not Jews with trembling knees. We are proud Jews with 3,700 years of civilized history. So let's ask again, why is it important to learn about our Jewish history, our roots, our land, our laws, our religion, anti-Semitism? Why is it important to teach those things to our children? Because time change, times change. We become complacent comfortable, and that makes us vulnerable. But remember that the reason we survive and thrive is that despite generation after generation of anti-Semitism, expulsions, pogroms, the Holocaust, blood libels, and more, it's precisely because at the end of the day, we unite, we go back to our roots, to our religion, to our brotherhood, to our achdud, to our traditions, to our religion, and we stand by our land, that will always persevere. And in the wise words of Natan Sharansky, there is no power in the world that can stand against us when we feel a part of our history, part of our people, and part of this historic struggle. And the last thing I want to say that's not in my speech is every day I drive by this memorial. My kids go to school across the street. And you see the hand coming out of the ashes of the Holocaust. But there's something else that I ask you to see if you can vision it like I do when I drive by. Every day when I drive by, I see that hand like this. It's coming out of the ashes, but remember that it turns into a fist of strength, of Jewish strength and Jewish pride and Jewish unity. And together we'll persevere. Thank you, Amisal Chai. Times like these, it's hard to see past the insanity in a reality so uncertain and unknown. Life as we knew it forever changed 
And there's no peace of mind to be found Who can even make sense of tomorrow When our dreams keep crashing to the ground And yet, as we rise to greet another day And the sun is still bright in the sky Always a reason to hope for better times Though it seems like the answer's worlds away We've got enough, just enough to keep us going Holding on to unbroken simple faith Cause the heat never breaks and the heat never bends and the Crowds dispersed on the streets that were once filled with life. But a brilliant light emerged from deep inside our hearts. The shuls were shuttered and still, but our prayers rang through our homes. Instead of looking out for inspiration, We dug deep and found strengths we'd never know And one more time We will rise to greet another day We're every moment more precious than ever And life's sweetest little joys They are the treasure Cause when it feels Like the answer's worlds away than enough to keep us going We're holding on to unbroken simple faith Cause the heat never breaks and the heat never bends and the heat never gives up in the night Our heat perseveres through the deepest despairs His emuna strengthens him for the fight and the heat understands that Hashem has a plan and that's all it up in the night it perseveres through the deepest despairs his emuna strengthens him for the fight and it understands that Hashem has a plan and that's all it takes to make it through it's that he loves him that's what I An unforgettable experience. Explore Israel with Effie. Allow me to take you on a journey back into time and see history unfold before your eyes. Shalom Aleichem, Effie Yacobi, welcome back to Lechayim. Shalom, shalom, Moshe, Boker Tov, Lechayim, to all the Mazanim, to all the listeners from Effie here in Eretz Israel. Effie Boker Tov, what's the latest on the uh, Jerusalem fires? Well, uh, uh, thank God, they managed to uh, take control after some 96-odd hours of intense firefighting activity. 
against this awful disaster that uh, befell upon us in the uh, Judean Jerusalem mountain area that today has been labeled as the greatest fire uh, damage that we have, even greater than the Carmel, equal to or surpassing the Carmel in 2010. That's 25,000 dunams, close over 6,000 acres of uh, forest and bushland. Shocking, absolutely shocking. I've seen photos of the before and after. Just uh, devastating. Lucky we had the firefighters back from Greece. True, true. Uh, the week before, Greece uh, underwent massive wildfires and they asked for international help. Israel was one of the first to send the team across. Uh, it went, did, and then came back in time to participate in that. The entire fire brigade of the state of Israel was diverted to this. It started off, you know, a couple of fire trucks. They thought they'd get it under. The winds were terrible. Then they had to bring in all the brigade all the air suppressant aeroplanes that were there. And even the Palestinian Authority sent out a fire truck with a team to help out, uh, but needed whoever could to come and uh, help us uh, combat these uh, horrific fires. All right, so it's under control now. Under control, uh, people are starting to move back to their homes. They had to evacuate thousands of people from the Moshavim and the Kibbutzim in the area. Uh, Houses got burnt and that. Uh, But thank God, no loss of life. Not like, God forbid, what happened in the uh, Carmel with 42 uh, people who died. Terrific. And and as we know, Israel has sent, uh, or Israel Israel aid has sent uh, a team over to Haiti as well. Ken, Ken, earthquake that was there, 7.2, 1,400 people, loss of life. Israel is in the forefront of teams to go out and uh, give a helping hand. And it it leaves, you know, the right impression for us to the local people overseas. And they've been in Haiti for, for quite a while. They've been in Haiti many times. Effie, where are you taking us? Today we're going to head out to Tel Arab National Park. So, guys, let's go explore Israel with Effie on 92.3 FM, 3 triple Z. And today we're visiting a phenomenal place, Tel Arad. We were last week, we were at Be'er Sheva. We slept overnight. We got in the car and we're heading east again, 40, 46 kilometers, a 40-minute drive, and to this Tel Arad National Park, which if you were looking for something that established early sedentary civilization anywhere, this is the place to go. It really is absolutely phenomenal. So it's located eight kilometers west of Arad itself. Best season, all year round length of visit, easily a two-hour visit. And we certainly don't have to go further than Judges 1, verse 15, the wilderness of Judah, which is south of Arad. The Tel Arad National Park has two parts. The Canaanite city in the south, dated back to 3,150 BCE. Guys, this is 5,000 years ago of early civilization. And the various strata of fortifications on the upper Tel, the hillock, the tell, in the north, the main one of which is the Israelite stronghold. The Israel National Trail, which is a tour in its own right further down the road, bypasses the tell along its southern base. The findings of Tel Arad are the most important in the Negev region itself. Now, Arad is mentioned several times in the Bible. Its earliest mention is found in Exodus, where the Israelites failed to conquer the city upon their entrance into Canaan from Egypt. Only later did this become an Israelite city. Excavations at the lower tell began in 1962 under the supervision of Ruth Amiran and the dig at the fortress was continued by Yochanan Aharoni, two of the most prominent archaeologists in the state of Israel. The Canaanite city was surrounded by a thick wall, a great part of which still remains. It was built of two layers of large stones with fillings of smaller stones. On the outer edge are semicircular towers, And among the excavated items of note, the dwelling area in the southern part of the site, the palaces and the shrines in the central part, and the well. The well is round and deep and supplied the water for the city in an area which is parched and has very little rainfall. It was renovated and restored in later periods. Archaeologists have exposed 12 strata of construction, the earliest strata being the Canaanite, And then six additional strata, you know, layers can be attributed to the Israelite period beginning in the 12th century BCE. That's 3,200 years ago and continuing until the days of Yehoiakim and Zedekiah, the kings in the 6th century. So a period of 600 years of Jewish presence. The principal feature is a large fortress that was renovated several times over generations and stood until the early Arab period. The fortress, and you can go up on the fortress, which is great for the kiddies, square in shape, was surrounded by a four-meter thick wall with small insets at 
intervals of nine to 10 meters. Its single gate was in the east. The wall was used in the later strata up to the Hellenistic period when a tower was erected in a smaller area in the center of the fortress. The two most important finds from the citadel are the Israelite sanctuary and a horde of ostraca. Ostraca, a small ceramic object found in the early residence of the governor Eliashiv, the son of Ishiyahu. Now, the Israelite sanctuary indicates that God, Yahawistic, funny name, but God worship, it took place here from the earliest period of the Israelite settlement until it was destroyed in the religious reforms initiated by King Hoshia. Two incense holders found here are now at the Israel Museum in Yerushalayim, and replicas have been placed in the Holy of Holies in the Tel Arad Shrine. But the 107 Hebrew ostraca at the site have special importance because the inscriptions, mostly written in ink, some dated to 600 BC, that's 2,600 years ago, were letters written to the commander of the citadel, Eliashiv, the son of Eshiyahu, Israelite Jewish name, whose seal was also found bearing his name. Among the inscriptions are instructions for the distribution of bread, oil, and water for the troops, and an explicit reference to the house of God. Amongst many other findings are potsherds and the fragment of a bowl with the name Arad engraved three times. The city's economy showed that the basis of the economy was quite varied. Agriculture, handicraft, commerce with Egypt, southern Sinai, and the cities and towns in Canaan. This diversification points to specialized professions, social stratification, and the central role that Arad played in southern Canaan. Arad was surrounded by small settlements within a short distance of it, and there was economic interdependence between the city and these nearby settlements. Modern Arad has the annual Hebrew Song Festival, so time your visit for that for sure. And the Arad Visitor Center is phenomenal. Maintained by the National Parks Authority, it provides a sound in light show, screened over a large model of the Jid Desert to put it all into perspective, simulation of a flash flood in the Judean Desert, which occur every year, exhibition of utensils used 3,000 to 5,000 years ago, and models of the Canaanite city and the Israelite fortress in which the desert life of man in ancient time is reconstructed. Well, guys, what do you need more than that? You can't wish for something better for the kiddies, for the family. You've got the car. You're in Beersheba today. You're in Arad, continuing east and south to the Negev and the Arava. Spend at least two hours there. You've got everybody there. You've got the car. You've got the missus. You've got the boot full of stuff. What a better way to spend a day. Go and visit Arad on your next trip out. So that's all from me for this week, guys, from Let's Explore Israel with FE on 92.3 FM, 3 triple zero till next week. Shalom, shalom. Outstanding, Effie. Stunning as always. See you next week. All the best. Shalom, shalom, chavarim. Kol tov. Peaceful weekend to us all. Take care, mate. Bye, guys. It's good news week. Have you heard the news? What did it say? And now for headlines from tomorrow's Australian Jewish News, the voice of Australia's Jewish community. What have we become? The vitriol must cease. Premier condemns anti-Semitic backlash. Communal leaders call for lockdown observance. Advice against testing slammed. Afghanistan. Did Greg Sherd die in vain? Pain talks tough on Iran and Hezbollah. Rabbi Janondi to join Jewish Care. Human Rights Watch calls out Hamas war crimes. Israel Poland withdraw ambassadors over new law. To read more coverage of local, federal and international news, opinion, arts, lifestyle and sport, pick up your copy of the Australian Jewish News from news agents and supermarkets in southeast of Melbourne or for weekly home delivery, subscribe at subscribe.jewishnews.net.au. Have you heard the news? What did it say? That's it for another Lachaim. With a tidal wave of the oldest hatred, anti-Semitism, metastasizing in the world again, 
We are very, very fortunate here in Australia that we have politicians, the likes of Senator Sarah Henderson and Senator David Van, that truly have a moral compass and are committed supporters of our Jewish community. Senator James Patterson, another great supporter of the Jewish community, will be our guest next week. Our radio tour guide, Effie Kobe, took us exploring Israel to Tel Arad National Park, east of Beersheba, another spectacular place with its amazing history dating back thousands of years, one of the most important archaeological sites in Israel. I want to give a plug to another charity doing excellent work feeding many people in need, Sarah Bendetsky Super Kitchen, which is having the grand opening of its social enterprise cafe with a real purpose, Super Bistro. This Friday, August 20 at 208 210 Balaclava Road, opposite David Southwick's office. Due to COVID restrictions, they are only opening with a delicious takeaway menu. We will have Sarah join us when COVID restrictions are lifted and the bistro is fully opened. Please check out Super Bistro on Facebook, Instagram. Contact details are info at super.org.au. Right, you'll find in about 15 minutes to half an hour a recording of tonight's L'Chaim program at 3zzz.com.au. Click on the down arrow in the Listen to a Show square and scroll down to the Jewish group. You'll find it there. Links to YouTube recordings of tonight's interviews will be posted to the L'Chaim and Morris Klein Facebook pages tomorrow. Please check out the other two programs that make up the Jewish group here at 3ZZZ. The Hebrew Hour, Shabbat Shalom, 3pm on Friday, and the Yiddish Hour, 11am on Sunday. If you'd like to contact us here at L'Chaim, our email is lchaim3zzz at gmail.com. For only $16, please consider becoming a member of the Jewish group here at 3ZZZ. And for seniors, it's just $11. Again, click on 3zzz.com.au. Many thanks again to Team Lachaim, Dr. George Banky, the executive producer, Dr. Murray Frankel, and Jeff Deegan. We are going to go out with an old favourite song of mine by the OJs. The world is still in desperate need of it. The Love Train. Get on board. So thank you for tuning in and please join us again next week on Lachaim. My name is Morris Klein. I'm Yisrael Chai and peace.